Hey there Spockliers, Liam here. Just a quick note to say first, apologies for any occasional background noise in this episode. We are of course recording remotely at the moment due to COVID-19 and for some reason I forgot to ask everyone to turn down their bloody headphones before we started recording. No! No! I've managed to get rid of most of the background noise that this created, but you may still hear it very faintly occasionally, and for that I apologise. I am so sorry. But I don't think it detracts from the conversation much at all, it won't happen again, and it's a free podcast anyway, so what more do you want? Secondly, and far more importantly, our very own Matt Brothers has written the screenplay for a new award-winning short film, Lab Rat, a sci-fi mystery thriller set in the near future where a group of scientists trapped in a lab learn that one their number is secretly an AI and has been deceiving them all along. You can watch Lab Rat now on YouTube via the Dust channel. Dust presents thought-provoking sci-fi content exploring the future of humanity through the lens of science and technology. And you can find it at youtube.com slash watchdust. I'm going to set the trailer for Lab Rat now, then we'll be straight into our long-awaited Star Trek Picard spoiler discussion with special guest Dan Thomas. But I hugely recommend Lab Rat. It's a super slick little short that deserves all the praise it's currently getting, and we couldn't be prouder of Matt. Here's the trailer. We've created human-like AI. To the untrained eye, it is completely human. It is one of you. This is crazy. Let us out! Androids are years away from what she's claiming. You're saying you've created something perfect. Are you able to form your own opinions, Marvin? You really thought you could fool us? I am not a robot. Humans are unreliable. We have to stop this. What happens once your lab rat has served its purpose? another edition of Spotlight. Today we are finally tackling Star Trek Picard. I am joined by my usual co-host Matt. Hello everyone. And Paul. Hi. And to help us tuck into some bottles of Chateau Picard tonight is our special guest Mr. Dan Thomas. Hello, good evening everyone, how are you? Very well sir, how are you doing? I'm fine, This is. I'm absolutely loving the lockdown, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah, got I mean, to drive anywhere. I've been doing three podcasts a week, it feels like. <laughs> Some of our listeners might already know who you are, but for those who don't, who are you and what do you do? I used to be a stand-up, but that's gone to fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, I also I produce some TV shows, I write some TV shows, some radio shows. I've done a little bit of acting in one film. 
Um, and that's my entire career. What is the one film that you've acted in, Dan? <laughs> it's a film called... You know what? I think it's free on Amazon Prime, so you can go nuts. It's called... Oh, yes. Uh, it's called Shadow of the Missing. It is a horror film that was made for 37 pence uh, a few years ago in Wales. And it is, it's like a found footage horror film that I worked on for six hours it, and won two awards. I'm writing it awards. down. I'm literally writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is the role that you play, Dan, in this film? Uh, I play a grumpy hotelier uh, of a a, um, a hotel where suspected witch activity has been happening. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, are, are you recommending this film? Uh, I actually get uh, residuals um, if you, <laughs> you every watch it on Amazon Prime. So, yes. You yeah, like watch it. If you've got an Amazon Prime account, get over there right now, included yeah. on Prime by the sounds of it. So, you know, we, we all need a lot of content yeah. right now. It's the Citizen Kane of, uh, <laughs> of South Wales British films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And also, I mean, you know, as we mentioned, we're all on lockdown at the moment, um, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus. But you say you're loving it, Dan. And. Not only that, but you are one of the few people who have actually been working on a TV show uh, while I'm locked down. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we, we've been making a show, a Welsh language TV show for SOC, which is uh, a celebrity poet, and it's his lockdown diary. It's very funny, sort of sketches and songs and poems. We, we, <laughs> we taught him to self-tape. We give him a green screen. He, he, he just sends <laughs> us the stuff. We edit it all together. We made a show, three people and one musician, in like two months on a, you know, it's it's, it's great. We 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 I think we're the only people still making shows. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, it'd be uh, you and Avatar too. That would be it. Yeah, <laughs> a, a lot of production has shut down, and that that must have been a real kind of weird experience still to be making TV in this time. Yeah, I think it would have been. This wasn't too bad because it was such a like just. It's a very small production. It's basically mm. one guy. And some sock puppets on one occasion, but I, mean, I think it must be so weird because I was working on a big TV show just as an actor before this all happened, and that it would have been weirder to still be doing that. Mm. I think Can it's finally Do you know what? I won't just because it hasn't been finished yet, and I could still get cut out of it, and it'd be embarrassing okay. a year from now. It goes out. And <laughs> well, we didn't need that love interest or whatever. <laughs> That's fine. Um, this is a Star Trek podcast. Where do you stand on all this? What are your Star Trek credentials? What have you seen? What haven't you seen? Are you a fan at all? Star Trek was the very first TV show I ever saw in my entire life. My mother was a huge Star Trek fan when it started in Britain in the probably the late 60s, early 70s. She sat me down and made me watch it as I, when I was a baby. So it's the first thing I remember seeing. I've seen literally every frame of the live-action Star Treks. I will not right. watch the animated series. It's shit. Nobody um, <laughs> <It> does. <laughs> uh, I have. Uh, I've been to a bunch of conventions. I met who I've, I've met all the big guys. But not Shatner. I met Chekhov. Uh, he was very rude to me. <laughs> was he? <laughs> he was. Yes. Uh, right now, I can. I can see his Slam point him, of view. Drag him. We were. Like, I think the thing was, I was asking him to sign a bunch of stuff on behalf of a bunch of Welsh people, and we've often got complicated names for the non-Welsh, right? And by the time I got to my sister's, when he and my Thomas, he was just like, you know, he just went, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I get it. He just gave up. 
that's fine. And in fact, <laughs> yeah. he walked out of the building. That's the thing I remember. I tried to get him to sign my sister's name, and he just went, no, stood up and walked out of the building. But, but this is Walter <laughs> Koenig as well, like, talk about funny names. So. Yeah. We, we actually have, um, I have a mutual friend with him now, and um, he's actually very nice by all accounts, but that, he was having a bad day in Cardiff. We've all had him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, like you said, you've seen it all apart from the animated series, which is understandable. So I've tried. Which... I have tried. I'll give every, I'll give it all. I'll always give Star Trek a go. It disappoints me 80% of the time, but <laughs> I will give it a go. We've all watched it. We've all watched Picard. I thought perhaps we should just go around everyone and just go overall, did you like it or not? First impressions kind of thing, and then get into the actual kind of story and characters and such. Have you ever been a stranger to yourself? Many, many times. Nearly two decades ago. Data sacrificed his life for me. These past few years, I really tried to belong here. But it never truly felt like home. Do you know who I am? Everything inside of me says that I'm safe with you. Admiral, I have encountered a woman. She came to me for help. If she is who I think she is, she's in serious danger. Sometimes I worry that you have forgotten who you are. We do not. You can't do it alone. You need help. You need protection. You need a crew. Be the captain they remember. what she truly is. She's the end of all. She's the destroyer. The hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy? Engage. I don't want the game to end. I can see that, Captain. With, with all new Star Trek, it almost like it's difficult to kind of draw a conclusion on it because it's just sort of, it's difficult to love the first time, you know, straight out of the gate. I mean, they're hitting all the, you know, emotional feels about seeing the Enterprise again and your familiar characters. So you kind of like to get caught up in that, but you like don't really have a critical slant on it until like, you know, you take take a step back at the end and then look back. And, um, you know, I, I definitely, I think I prefer Picard to Discovery. Um, I'll definitely click with a bit more than that, but it's, yeah. No, I, I think overall positive. There's plenty to get into though. I mean, there's, I've got like a pros, uh, a what the fuck and a, a cons <laughs> column. Like, uh, so we could go, we're definitely going to cover a few points. I'm sure we'll have the same kind of feelings on it. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one coming off of something like Discovery, which does feel like the next kind of, you know, next gen present day version of a Star Trek series. This feels much more insular and small and something we haven't really seen before. I mean, for one, it is only, you know, a 10 episode limited series within this series. Obviously, there's season two coming, but it feels like it's the first time it's told just kind of one story. And rather than being 
being a story about a ship or a crew, it's kind of about one man for the first time and the sort of mystery and uh, conspiracy he gets sucked into. And I think it has its ups and downs. I think it starts out quite clunky. I think a lot of it is kind of struggles to find its feet and knows what it's really trying to say. The direction which it does go was quite surprising for me. But it did pick up speed as it went on for me and outside of a few, you know, slower down breather recappy episodes which were, you know, somehow still finding filler in a 10 episode season, it, it ended really strong for me and where it kind of tails off as we'll get to I'm quite excited but I think as a showcase for good old P. Stu, I think he's he's doing a tremendous job here and like with Discovery the production value is off the, off the charts and I can see why a lot of people are either really digging it or having some issues with it. Damn. I really, I, I was one of the diggers. I really did enjoy it. I, I, I think a lot of people said it was quite slow at the start as well. I thought it was, it, I know it speeds up, but I was into it straight away. And I loved the fact that it was, it, it wasn't too reverential of Star Trek. It was like, we're doing our own thing with characters and we're going to bring in some of the play things from the Star Trek universe, but we are doing our own thing. In, which I thought was a bold choice for a lot of it. Like, they bring in body horror, for example, which is a first-time thing, I think, on Star Trek, really. But generally, I enjoyed it. I thought some of the humour fell a bit flat. But, I mean, Patrick Stewart was... He was extraordinary. I thought... At, at first, I thought, oh, he's, he seems knackered as an actor, not as a character. <laughs> yeah. But then there's, a, like, episode three or four, whenever he gets onto the bridge of a spaceship, Patrick Stewart physically changes how he stands and speaks... I was like, oh, yeah. that was all a choice. Oh, that's amazing. So um, and after that, I was very excited. And I love the fact that it begins as this almost grim, dark version of Star Trek. That whatever's happened between now and uh, the last Star Trek film within the timeline, it's become this horrible, dark thing, which was a very... It almost felt like this is the first Trump-era science fiction series for me, and I, I really enjoyed it. You say you've seen all of these Star Trek shows. Is Next Generation a favourite for you? Uh, Deep Space Nine is my favourite of the series, and uh, the first series of Star Trek The Next Generation is the worst 24 hours I've ever sat through <laughs> of, of anything, including like child labour, and I saw everything. <laughs> but later on, I loved Star Trek The Next Generation, it, and that was... Yeah, that's what really, that was the first TV show that I really loved. Like, Star Trek was my mother's thing, the original series, but this was my thing. So I, I'm a huge fan. I've seen every episode two or three times. I've watched it through a bunch of times. Um, and this wasn't, this didn't feel, like I say, too reverential f about Star Trek The Next Generation. It was just taking what it wanted and making off with the goods, and I appreciated that. Yeah, that's very true. For a show that kind of is a sequel to that show, it's not trying to be it at all. Like, yeah, it brings in Riker and Troy a couple of times, but you're right, it, it, it does some brave stuff of introducing a nearly an entirely new cast, entirely new concept, and, I mean, you could easily see a kind of Picard spin-off show being something more like he's an advisor or admiral for the new yeah. crew of the Enterprise, you know, and that would be yeah. a lot I kind of, easier thing to do. That's what I assumed it was going to be, yeah. Dan, are you, with Picard... Is he your captain? I know you said DS9 was your favourite of the Star Trek shows, but is Cisco your favourite captain, or is it no, Kirk? No, no, my favourite captain is... I don't know what, it's going to be... A, it's a tosser between Kirk and Picard. I know that's the boring answer. <laughs> and I really like Cisco, but um, but he's not that interesting to me. Um, but the, the series as a whole is... The, the, the fact that it's an arc and it's proper military science fiction and conspiracy, and it's got so much going on. That's the... That's, Deep Space Nine is the only Star Trek series I've ever cried over. So I'll say that. What was the point well, where you cried probably... in DS9? The, the finale. The finale. 
I, right, I remember okay. when, when it was when it came on Netflix and I watched it all and I hadn't I hadn't actually seen the last series until when it came on Netflix five years ago and I came on from a bad gig with only the finale left to watch I thought I'm going to put my headphones in I'm going to watch it on my phone and I just sat in bed after a bad gig and cried at the finale of Deep Space Nine and I, I remember I'll probably remember that vividly for the rest of my life. That's a brilliant way to end it then. Be that long since I presume you started watching that series, then finally cap it off. Like you, you know, you have those favorite shows where you like, I, I do all the favorite books. We like, I don't want to read the read, read the last chapter until because I know you know then it'll be over. It's yeah. like you managed to stretch that one out to a good time. It sounds. <laughs> yeah, about good fifteen yeah. years. I think it took. <laughs> With me, there's definitely stuff I do like, didn't dislike it or anything like that but yeah there there are definitely things that i didn't particularly get on board with peace Jew is always amazing i think uh in general and as that character he's always going to be very very watchable in that role and he kind of carries me through so basically i mean this is a 10 part novelistic story structure very very much so i would say more so than any star trek show before even discovery this is very much kind of designed to be the kind of binge era television format where this all feels like 10 parts of the same story it makes sense with the fact that the showrunner of this show is michael chabon who prior to this really is by far most famous for being a novelist. He wrote The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, uh, which is an incredibly kind of revered novel that won the Pulitzer Prize in 2001. Has anyone read this? No. It's a big book, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, He also wrote Wonder Boys, uh, which was adapted into a 2000 uh, Curtis Hansen film with Michael Douglas. That's a favourite of yours, isn't it, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. I love that movie, yeah. Yeah, it's fab. And, yeah, yeah. And it's great, great Bob Dylan song. A worried man with a worried mind. No one in front of me and nothing behind. There's a woman on my lap and she's drinking champagne. I've white skin, got assassin's eyes. I'm looking up into the sapphire tinted skies. I'm wild dressed. But yeah, so Siobhan was the showrunner for this. I mean, prior to this, in terms of kind of TV work and stuff, he was the co-creator of Unbelievable. Oh, what, the TV show from last year with the um, Tony Collette? Uh, rape investigation drama. Yeah, yeah, that stories. was really strong, yeah. So what, did he yeah, yeah. Create, create that, did he? He's one of the co It's like three people, and he's he's one of them. Yeah, yeah, highly recommend um, that, yeah. He also co-wrote the screenplay for John Carter, uh, but we won't blame him for that. Prior to this, he wrote um, the best, short trek at least of the the first season of these calypso which is very very good uh which i'd recommend to anyone who hasn't seen that these are the short films that came out between so he didn't do the children of mars then that wasn't him the what children of mars one like john Carr. No, no no chabon for the short treks because there's oh. the one actually is a prequel to this show 
own because is that one of the later ones that I've only seen the first four yeah, the, okay. the season, season one two, of Short Yeah, Trust. okay. So season two has a as a kind of precursor. So I I presumed that was Shabon's work, but no, you're probably right that he did that one off. Uh, I know he run. wrote a couple of the second season of the short tracks. So you probably, yeah, he probably did. No, that I one really well. intended to have watched that before this, but I didn't get around to it. It's quite annoying. But we'll we'll delve in soon. They're only like seven minutes or something, so very very easy to get into. But I found him a very interesting choice when they announced that he was going to be the showrunner. Um, this really kind of revered, respected novelist to kind of come and do this show. Um, and I see also The Wire, though. You know, that's the other thing, isn't it? Like, that was uh, ended up being written by novelists from series two mm-hmm. onwards. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, I suppose. And, it, and, and if you ever think of a show that takes two or three episodes to find its, you know, to build up to where you think actually something's happening. <laughs> but in fact, everything's been happening already. You just hadn't noticed it. Uh, you know, until like, you're three episodes in and like the, the the case is sprawling out. That's the kind of thing that's happening here, isn't it? It's like three episodes to kind of really just get you into that world and adjust yourself. Because if you are going in with expectations that it's going to be a next gen and only one episode is in France, you're going to be like, I'm, I'm not quite getting this. I'm not getting it. It's actually changed. I'm expecting, you know, where's the ship? Yeah, well, it's Whoa. like, didn't our previous guest, James Dialiam, say that they wanted to show, or Patrick Street wanted to show the first three episodes in one as like a big movie kind yeah. of pilot? Which yeah, kind of makes sense right. if you've seen it a bit. But Patrick Stewart, when they did the big premiere, really wanted CBS to show the first three episodes together back to back rather than just the first one. And he got overruled. And I completely understand why, because the, the first three episodes, and this this is so indicative, I think, to me, of the way uh, binge era storytelling is done now, um, in the sense of like if we rewind like 15 years ago, the first three episodes would have been the first episode. They would have condensed Mm. that into kind of the pilot. The pilot would have ended with Picard saying, engage. (laughs) Now you get it very much. Instead, it's kind of, you know, it's stretched out over three episodes to kind of, you know, play out a story and get to that point. I mean, it was interesting fact I picked up the other day, actually, is that even in the era of Voyager with Brian Fuller, who worked on that show and now will work briefly on Discovery, like he was saying that the writers room there were trying to get the year of hell concept which is like a season five or so which is mm. a two-parter to be like the whole season mm. where like void is getting its ass whooped every week like it's not repaired every episode it's not like they hit the reset button it was going to be a whole season of hell and they were overruled by rick berman who just said that's not the, the show so you got two episodes and you got to wrap it up so it's like they've <laughs> been trying to do like this kind of thing where things have consequences from episode to episode for a while i think it was basically because ds9 was going on at the same time and so anti like that wasn't quite working for him as the producer of star trek and it was just <laughs> Rick yeah, Berman yeah, like, doesn't but... like star trek i'm gonna go and say that <laughs> um, yeah i think well, we're under new new management now so it's all good <laughs> yeah i mean this is another show under the banner of alex kurtzman and akiva goldsman together uh, especially kurtzman they have completely engineered uh this new era of star trek really all the shows discovery this obviously the new nickelodeon cartoon that you mentioned paul also lower decks which is the other animation that they're doing plus the new uh pike show Strange New World, Section 31, all of those are very much kind of the brainchild of Alex Kurtzman pushing this new era where they're trying to make it. So CBS have basically 52 weeks of track a year. But yeah, I mean, how did everyone feel about the first 
the first three episodes being that long form story to get us to kind of almost that launching pad point. Did it drag for you? Not for me. I, I actually, I think as I heard that it was going to be three episodes, I wasn't expecting it not to be. Right. That's the uh, annoying thing that I really didn't read anything about it, but you just can't help but be bombarded by reviews and first takes and all that kind of stuff across the internet. So I was kind of prepared that, you know, that it was the cat was out of the bag. It wasn't going to get to space to episode four, but there was plenty to go get into. You had a lot of stuff to set up. It's been a long time since Nemesis, thankfully. And, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, there's you know a lot of water under the bridge for Picard, so you need to catch up. I mean, we know this is a different Picard as well. You know, he's got another 20 years of living to do. And, and also, as we learn in the show, a lot of brooding and being an arsehole to everybody around him. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is very much playing his actual age in this, isn't he? Um, in terms 94 of... 94 he's playing. Yeah, well, yeah. He's, yeah. So he's, Couldn't believe he's that. He's older, <laughs> he, even older than his actual age, because I think he is, he's in his late McCoy, 70s, isn't he? Yeah, I think McCoy is 127 oh, in the yeah. pilot of ne- Next Gen, so... It, he does seem almost doddery at the start. It's kind of weird because up until about five years ago or something, whenever I saw Patrick Stewart, he always just seemed to look exactly the same as he did yeah. in the 90s, kind of when he was in TNG's heyday. And suddenly, over the last five years, he, he suddenly seems to accelerate. I mean, he still looks younger than he is, I would say, but he, he suddenly seems to accelerate it in age to feel kind of suddenly older, slightly more yeah. kind of frail and stuff like that. And it's kind I think, of. I think, I'm assuming that's because he hangs around with Ian McKellen a lot these days. And can you imagine what a night out with Ian McKellen is like? It's going to be fucking mental. Well, it's hard to remember, uh, of course. It, you know, it's been three years since he played uh, Professor X again in Logan, where he was deliberately, you know, plot-wise old yeah. and frail, and then like on his deathbed. And it's you know three years on from that, and here he is. So yeah, I, I definitely but, felt it as well. I felt I could I could feel every wrinkle in his face this time, whereas he's always just been in stunning bold and old. It's yeah. been great. It made me. <laughs> I was very nervous actually. That was. It felt. I, I got the feeling of my concern, like when Harrison Ford comes back to do Indiana Jones, that he's going to look like Patrick Stewart at this point. I'm like, don't <laughs> yeah. do it. I don't want to see it. And the first hour or so, certainly when he's got a bit more action to do. Uh, I was like, oh, why have they made an old man do this? It looks bad. Yeah, I was like, that explosion would definitely kill Picard in the, in the pilot. Yeah, I was like, he's dead. Yeah. He's a dead man. <laughs> I think drinking well, I think the wrong vintage would kill Picard in the first episode. <laughs> it's making Roger Moore in View to a Kill a positive spring chicken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're, we're reintroduced to Picard. He's now retired to Chateau Picard uh, with his dog, number one. Did not see enough of that dog in this no, season. Not enough. He should have gone with him. Yeah, hundred percent. He was on the poster. I was like, he's gonna have a dog sidekick all the way through. I was really disappointed that number yeah, one. He, sh- he should have brought him on the ship, ship and like, that should have been his trick. Yeah, yeah. he should have brought him on the ship and actually been right. This dog is number one. You have to do what he says, everyone. And everyone's like, oh, what? <laughs> that would have been an amazing show if it's like they get him on the ship and it turns out, oh, wait a minute, this guy is severely Alzheimer's. <laughs> this is this is gonna be a very different series now. He's um, talking to yeah. his dog as if he just it is presents Riker. well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the way it's going, that dog's going to get its own spin-off next season, so it'll have his time to join. <laughs> and he's got two Romulan housekeepers, uh, Zaban and Laris, didn't stick around beyond the first three episodes. And again, that, that kind of Which disappointed me. Which I was sad me. about. I, di- I disappointed too. I was really hoping they would, they would come along, because I really got warm to them really, yeah. really nicely. And yeah, they were sorely missed, because everybody else is so unlikable later. We'll get into this, because we're talking about the characters and the new characters that have been choosing 
a lot of new characters in this show. And like you said, I, I warmed the Romulan housekeepers quite quickly. I was like, oh, that's a kind of nice idea. You know, these kind of former enemies kind of now being his kind of almost, what, carers? They seem like his, almost. His yeah. help. Um <laughs> And, you know, they, they, they were both quite likeable and the relationship between them and Picard was quite intriguing. And then they seemed to disappear and be replaced with basically his, his makeshift new crew who are made up of uh, Raffi, played by Michelle Hurd, who's meant to be uh, someone who worked with Picard in the intervening kind of 20 years that we haven't seen. And he's kind of holding kind of a grudge against Picard because essentially him resigning led to her being fired from Starfleet. I have a real issue with stuff like this where you have to basically fill in the blanks of their relationship because we've never seen her before. Obviously, we know that there's been a gap in time. We see some kind of flashbacks and stuff. But by the finale, the final episode, she's turning around to Picard going, oh, I love you, Picard. And she, he's saying, oh, well, I love you too. Uh, presumably as friends. I didn't really quite get what mm. whether that was meant to be romantic or kind of friendly, really. But I was like, well, do you? I don't I don't really buy it. I, I don't know who this person is. I didn't really we, feel like I got to know their relationship enough. Well, yeah, that was definitely I, a note from me because I was thinking of all, you know, of all the characters to kind of bring in which could be someone to hearken to the past, surely the Raph role would be one that is well suited to somebody we do know because otherwise yeah. a lot of the history is implied and it's we have to do a lot of, lot of legwork and just having her have a fancy nickname for him you know JL isn't enough to kind of pave over the fact that we don't know this person and it feels weird that in this cast of you know nearly uniformly new characters the one that could have done with maybe being someone who we can also latch on to so when it gets to that end moment of you know I love you it's like we're like yes maybe this is someone he hasn't said this to and I guess Data has that thing as well but he's kind of more intimate it feels weird that it, it, it's her, you know? The thing the show does a couple of times is that it saves its backstories for, like, a grand reveal later. Yep, yep. The, to the detriment of the show. Yep, it does it absolutely. several occasions where you get the filler in bits, but you're like, oh, I could have really done with this two episodes ago, but I've gone like, two episodes without caring whether they live or die. Well, yeah. And now you're telling me why I should have cared all along. And I think it was it's not a good enough reveal. There's not enough groundbreaking stuff. I mean, particularly Gerati, like so Dr. Gerati, who's the uh, synth expert who uh, comes along on the on the ship with them. She's never seen kind of active duty, but she's she goes along because she's been coerced by the um, admiral in no, or the head of Starfleet security who is a Romulan spy to go in there and spy on Picard and that kind of thing and, and track them. You know, it's only revealed that she's a double agent two episodes in, but mm. she's acting really out of sorts. In fact, she murders a man. Did you get to meet Dodge? No. They're perfect. Perfectly imperfect. They did it, Eggie. Soon and I. And you. Your contribution was essential. One more thing I have to atone for. What do you mean? What is the nature of your psychiatric emergency? Your blood pressure and cortisol levels. What is the nature of your medical emergency? 
There's a high risk of critical organ failure unless hematic micro-repair treatment is resumed. Deactivate the image. I know, but I know. I wish they hadn't shown me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But she murders Bruce Maddox. we find out why. I know, where the tension would have been much more if we'd kind of known that she was set up. You know, she had been programmed to, like, fuck things over. Mm. I think it would be more, more dramatic the way she's left alone in the room with him. You're like, oh, what's well, yeah, well, here? Rather than go, oh, shock horror. Yeah, 100% agree on that point, Paul, because the other one for me is Picard's brain tumour, which doesn't become a thing until episode nine. That should have been the whole series. It should have been beginning with him reckoning with his mortality, realising he's dying. Maybe he keeps it to yeah. himself a bit more, but we can see from episode one there's something going on. So then we can reckon with it the whole time. So then when it gets to the quick fix at the end it's more of a thing yeah. other than just oh by the way in episode nine there's because the, he literally that scene he literally comes out and addresses them he's like don't worry everyone got a brain thing i'm sure it's fine don't tell me i'm dying <laughs> and it's like where was this the whole I have no series brain. yeah there's, so there's that, a few that, elements that like really, that that should have come through that's what pissed me off the most about this show was that 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 could have been such a an amazing thread they don't even need to mention it it's just the weight of his mortality and the fact that he's terminally ill you should have been able to feel that the entire series. And at the end, it, there should have been a cost. And at the end, it's like, don't worry. Star Trek Miracle Meds, don't do it. it, it either do it or don't. And they, mm. it, was, it was such a coward's way yeah. out as, from a creative point of view at the end. Like, I don't think there was... I know they want to keep it open for, um, for a second season, but, I mean, you didn't have to kill him in the last episode, but don't take away something that could still bear fruit as a storytelling device yeah, later on. Yeah. Well, he's um, moved over into altered carbon now, hasn't he? That's uh... yeah, exactly. What was that? <laughs> yeah, brand new yeah, body. That's what I thought of. <laughs> Ain't even fucking seen altered carbon. That's what I thought of. Well, it's it's interesting because the opening scene where you're introduced to the first synth who is activated by a load of security guys bursting into her room and killing her boyfriend yeah. is pretty much a direct lift from the opening scene of Altered Carbon. A lot of the heritage behind this series isn't just Star Trek, it's science fiction no, no, from no. the last 20 years. Mm. Like I Of Netflix. Like, well, the last 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, if, you know, there's obviously this Firefly in there. It, sometimes it feels like it belongs in a bunch it could easily fit into a bunch of different TV and science fiction universes oh yeah there's a massive like Serenity vibes yeah know, when I was seeing the Especially final character. by the end of the show where you kind of feel like out of nowhere and for no reason Picard is now just gonna travel with this crew they, they seem to basically be going oh yeah I'm just captain again engage why <laughs> should you be going back to Chateau Picard now like <laughs> and chilling out for a bit um, like your dog they did try to very much go needs for, walk. for the Firefly Serenity vibe with that crew and even the ship itself it's like this ragtag bunch it's of just a crew hanger. and ship that, that's that's the feel they're trying to evoke although it, it doesn't reach those heights at all for me of kind of what uh, yeah, Joss Whedon was, did with Firefly I think it's because they're just such a bunch they're such riffraff you know isn't it like he's, he's not, there's not like a straight A shooter amongst mm. them is there like they've all got like <laughs> real fucked up backstories well that was definitely an element uh, that did, did appeal actually the fact that you know here's a series where we're not following Starfleet for once it is kind of like you know seeing the rogues out there which kind of like what the Mandalorian's been doing with Star Wars it's like here's the people off behind the scenes who aren't part of the big element so you know Starfleet is barely in this um, so the, all the main characters here kind of have up, up to their own things we should talk about Daj also her sister who obviously as you say gets introduced in the first episode um, where she's kind of hanging with her incredibly camp boyfriend 
uh, and suddenly <laughs> the uh, her flat is invaded by the more secret than the secret Romulan police. When it happened, it was like, they're more secret than the Talshi. I was like, brilliant, I love this. I'll take this Dan Brown in space weird conspiracy bullshit. Let's go. And it is... I mean, that's the trouble. Now I'm talking about the show, I'm liking it a lot less. This is, I don't know if this happens to you. But yeah, that was, there's a lot of stuff that's set up and I enjoyed it in the moment going, where's this going? And now I think about it, not that far. In principle, I like the idea of having this conspiracy thriller thing through it. It just yeah. didn't quite land. Oh, yeah, because well, you've, you've had the gold standard with Deep Space Nine. I mean, that's your, yeah. that's your benchmark. And I think that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's attempting to recapture some of the great days of season five, six of that. And, uh, you know, I'm 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 happy to see a good conspiracy, and I think some of the unmined stuff in Next Gen was like um, the conspiracy episode, where it's like the one good thing out of season one. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that is the one good thing. Yeah. But you know, yeah, maybe maybe it's good that we just chat a little bit about things that we did like about uh, Picard, and, uh, and and I would just say one of them is for me was all the the TNG aspects, but they were kind of like they weren't kind of in your face um, re- references, like the uh, data painting. And that just felt really a nice touch to bring that back. That you know he kind of took up painting in the end of, near the end of the run, and the fact that they would be in the archives now. Those are kind of things that give me like a little thrill, to be mm. honest. And um, I felt that the the de aging on those on those flashbacks looked pretty good, to be mm. honest. Portrait yeah. of a day on think, fire. Mm-hmm. Is it is, is they CGI him to look younger, or they just put extra makeup on? They definitely yeah. digitally de aged him a bit because yeah. his face we have is rounder in. <laughs> In reality, for starters. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It's not just a lot of silver foundation. (laughs) It's funny, because certainly in that... Later on when he appears, actually, in kind of his weird kind of nexus thing towards the end, he looks more like the Data of old. But in that opening scene, it looks like they just squashed his face together (laughs) and, like, just kind of compressed it from what it actually is right now and kind of elongated him out. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Brent Spiner. He's he, he, he capture, recaptures Data again extremely easily. And I actually liked him as uh, the son of, of, of Dr. Sung in this. You know, I kind of yeah. thought that was fun that they brought him along. Uh, obviously, he's yeah, already yeah. played Dr. Sung in uh, Enterprise. They, they got him to play that role. And now he's playing the son of that kind of character as well. So it's kind so of... He played the dad as well. Was he the father? Of Doctor Sung in, uh, I want to say, I'm, I'm sure he's played three generations. Yeah, he's basically the Eddie Murphy clumps version. <laughs> I'd love to see family. that. The Sungs. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I mean, the thing is, in that finale, obviously, like you say, he has Picard has that big love you moment to Data in that episode. So I don't really feel that I also needed a big love you moment to Raffi because surely. To, to to any kind of Star Trek fan, kind of like even if even a casual one, uh, the data moment is going to be far more important and far bigger. Well, whatever this is, it's wonderful to see you, Data. To see your strange, beautiful face among the many many things that I regretted after your death was that I never told you that you loved me. Knowing that you loved me forms a small but statistically significant part of my memories. I hope that brings you some comfort, sir. It does. Thank you, Dad. 
I think it's weird because it's like we've had Nemesis and I think, you know, essentially we've had a, a toast of data, which was well handled. I think he, he died a hero's death. Picard should feel no guilt about the way he went. Like for all the thoughts of that movie, like the ending was not an issue. The only issue was that you drop that kind of B4 nonsense that, oh, it's not really dead. Oh, and they yeah. did away with that in the first 30 seconds of this, where it's like, turned out he was a piece of shit. Like, so we're... <laughs> well, <laughs> this is we're my... keep it here in this box. <laughs> we're getting on to one of my issues here, which is funny because it plays into that B4 kind of story in Nemesis is that in the first episode, we're introduced to Daj, who's meant to be essentially Data's daughter. And then she gets killed really, really horribly, by the way. She yeah. like It's a really gruesome death to the point that I was like, this must be a dream. Like, this is too horrible. There's, there's no way it's, it's actually happening. And then it, it was. And at first, you know, we get a moment of Picard being like, no! But then later on, as soon as he's told by the end of the episode that actually there's another version of her out there, he just chills out about it completely. He just kind of like, oh, right, well, fucking forget her then, that's fine. Let, let's track down the other one. And it reminded me of the end of Nemesis, where you get the big hero's death for Data, and five minutes later, we get the revelation that actually B4 um, has now kind of downloaded essentially Data's consciousness or whatever. So essentially, he can just become Data, and you get Picard walking down the corridor with a big smile on his face, with Goldsmith's kind of theme kind of rising up heroically in the background, and it just basically going, oh, who fucking cares? Does, doesn't matter. That, that he's dead because here's another version stop devaluing android life is what I'm asking you to do <laughs> well it's the it's the whole 3PO thing in Rise of Skywalker isn't it like yes. just follow through on it like it has to have consequences like there can no can there be no more backups it's difficult to have consequences in a literally billion dollar franchise which is which is a shame because they've done it you know well, you're like, right it was Nemesis they did it that did feel like a cop out at the end of that and it does not necessarily in the same way. But this feels like a copper at the end of this series. I would have loved if this was just we're doing one and done, mm. and we're not doing well, any more. That's the thing. They already announced season two before this even aired, and it's like, well, Picard's not going to die at the end, then is he? Where's the stakes now? I don't like, mind him not dying, but I wish they hadn't taken away that. Th- like, I'd love if, if season two is just him running like a meth lab. You know, that, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> From his uh, <laughs> chateau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually, the cover. Picard doing the numbers going, it turns out wine is a lot more of a market than meth. <laughs> we should probably knock the meth business on the head. Uh, I mean, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Like you were saying about the brain ab- abnormality element of the plot would probably be fine if they kept it. We could introduce it in the first episode of the season and then just go, that is a thing that is just there throughout yeah, yeah. this entire series of this show. He doesn't have to die from it until whenever you decide that Picard is cancelled or whatever. You know, the fact that... Or when Patrick Stewart decides he doesn't want to do it. Anymore. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. The fact that they've now already dealt with it, mm. essentially, by the end of this, just basically... And now he's this synthetic life form. And like you say, it's completely pointless because when they bring him back, they just basically go, you're exactly the fucking same. Nothing's changed. You're still mm. going to die at the same time. You've got the same memories. You look the same. We, so we, we've done we've done nothing. I mean, you get the impression that his organs or whatever are, are brand new, but he's still going to die at the same time. They've almost it sounds like they've almost put a like 
digital clock at him to go like we still got to die at the same time because he says like oh well gonna give me a few more years and they're like nah shut up god you just get i mean all he needs to do is go to geordie and just say can you change my expiration date (laughs) (laughs) like you know he's gonna take his take the top of his head off he'll poke about and then there you go yeah i definitely think the more interesting way of doing this would have been you know you know about the brain thing from the first episode so you assume this is a sci-fi it's probably going to get fixed through some MacGuffin, and then it doesn't by the end and you're like oh here's something that actually has to stick which they can do because they've managed to make data stick yeah because Mm. i think for the story it works a lot better if he doesn't get killed but yeah. unfortunately you would get some hardcore trackies which I don't consider myself to be going uh, actually there was a character who had the same condition in season 5 and that was cured with a uh, chroniton particle beam so, oh, fuck off. but I still get the feeling that this was studio interference I'm sure Sh- Shabon and those guys would have been like we're going to kill this guy at the end or at least he's going to be he's going to be terminally ill at the end and someone you know, at CBS said no no we want another 3 years of this Curing. The thing is, is they had to really convince Pichu to come back for this because, I mean, it does it does seem like they've tried to kind of tempt him back into the fold before and it hasn't happened. And now approaching it from this direction, we've talked about Logan and how this shares similarities with the depiction of Professor X in that as kind of, you know, an older... Uh, character and that was very much how they sold this to him the basically going we're going to do Logan for Picard and I can see that but at the same time I don't actually think that it's as successful and of course in that they do kill him he does die uh, now that's kind of gone out of the way and he's got the synthetic body you're kind of like well what rules are attached to that now can he just die randomly in terms of if he's shot or something does he still die how does that work hmm. and it just seems to be you've got all the questions for... season two yeah, yeah i love it i love that that would yeah. actually be the first episode of season two is picard and his doctor going hang on how does this work so am i <laughs> am i still is it gone when do i die do i still die at the same time? how do you know when i was gonna die <laughs> They gave me a whole new body, but all they basically did was take a tumour out. Great. Yeah, why is that? And the wang's smaller, so I want that explained. Um, (laughs) He's just like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Also, put some hair on. You not have made that a couple of inches bigger. While you're down there, you know what I mean? Couldn't give me some hair again. Blimey. I really like them using kind of next gen or Star Trek iconography and kind of subverting it quite well, like the Borg artifact. And that was my favourite bits was the midsection of this show where you see the kind of them working on it and you've got that sign in the background that says 360 days since our last assimilation. I love that it's like kind of active and that there's bits of it you just don't go down, like where it's kind of still a bit dangerous. That felt like the next kind of step on from, you know, the whole thing that Trek always did, which was taking your enemy uh, and making them on your side, like War from the Klingons and then Seven of Nine for the Borgs. It's like this is seeing what's happening after all the Borg and that they are people as well who can be, be treated well and, and given new lives and things. And, that, you know, that moment around the mid, towards the end of the series where uh, Nerissa, the Romulan sister of Harry Treadaway, kind of opens up the cube and sucks them all into space was kind of quite harrowing. And it's like, oh, no, and this is, this is just Borg. <laughs> but I'm, I'm feeling this. I agree. Well, Seven and Nine, who is the unsung hero of this show, is like, <clears throat> you know, she brings in, like, her scenes, like, brings so much humanity. After they brought you back from your time in the collective, do you honestly feel that you regained your humanity? Yes. All of it? No. But we're both working on it, aren't we? 
goddamn day of my life. Then you've got like some brilliant cameos by former, uh, you know, next generation of Voyager alumni like Hugh and Icheb and the people, you know, to really kind of like there is life after Borg. I liked the character development for Picard when he hooks up with Hugh again and he actually has that conversation with him where he looks around kind of, you know, the the sort of Borg that have been sort of deprogrammed essentially and says, you know, I was wrong. What you're doing is good, Hugh. There's no need for it to be perfect. After all these years, you're showing what the Borg are underneath the victims, not monsters. He was basically, you know, Borg racist, wasn't he? When he met Hugh originally in Next Generation in uh, I, Borg. The whole thing is he's gone on a journey and now his actual kind of, you know, friends with Hugh, they have a big hug and everything like that. And he's saying that, like, you know, I was wrong, I was prejudiced, and actually I couldn't see kind of, you know, the human underneath. And, you know, and obviously that's kind of compounded by now his new kind of friendship with Seven and Nine as well, because as far as I'm aware, they they never met on screen prior to this. No, that's one of the things that, like, is the standout moment of the show as well, I think, is just, like, the fact that you have these two characters from, from different Star Trek shows meeting, and it doesn't feel like fanfic. It, like, feels, like, that well-earned and that these people are, uh, you know, actually co-opting the same universe and would know of each other and actually have the shared experience and, you know, quite easily fit together without, a mo- you know, a moment's hesitation. I'm like, this is, this works, mm. seeing them on screen together. They're great foil. She was a great foil for Janeway. And you can see it being the same for Picard. Let's talk about the returning characters then. Like you say, you've got Seven and Nine, you've got Riker, you've got Troy, Hugh and Itcheb for like two seconds. So what did we think about the returning characters? Dan, you're, you've seen all of Star Trek, probably more than Star Trek than any of us. What was your kind of <laughs> feelings about the returning characters? Uh, I really like having Hugh back. I thought it was a great episode back in the 90s. So it was nice to have him coming back. And I just... Because sometimes when you... Especially if you've seen an actor on a TV show and you're like, I haven't seen that guy work in 25 years. You're just like, I'm glad he had a couple of weeks work. <laughs> Itcheb, I, 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 when I mentioned on Twitter that I was watching this, somebody said, come back to me when, when you want justice for Itcheb. I was like, I didn't give a crap. I vaguely remember because he's actually, because my kid only watches one episode of Voyager. That's all she likes. She likes Seven of Nine from one specific episode of Voyager, The Haunting of Deck 12, which all the kids are in. <laughs> so I vaguely remember him because I've watched that show 20 times. But I didn't really care about that. Um, nice having data back again. Nice to see him work. I really, I got a bit choked up when Riker came back. When the Rikers came back. Yeah, yeah, um, agreed. And that got a little bit undercut by the fact he has a that giant they head. Had a, not that he has a giant head. <laughs> We're all gonna get giant heads, right? Um, but what I did, but that was then slightly marred for me by the fact they tried to put the emotional thing in it with the dead son who would have survived mm. had it not been for the android ban. It's like, don't squeeze that in. We were having a really nice moment then. Uh, I really liked Seven and Nine. I thought she was a badass. Give her her own movie spin-off. That was great. Yeah, all the Swallows and Amazon's daughter, they have got, like, you know, she was quite nice, though. She was a nice little addition. Yeah, yeah, could, no, yeah. I, I liked her. And, uh, I mean, uh, we all agreed that the seventh episode, which brings uh, Riker and Troy back, is the best episode yeah. of the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to say, I think the, the, the weird thing about Star Trek is that it's often actually packed. My favourite moments, my favourite episodes really are always the ones that are emotionally led. So it's family from Next Generation, it's the inner light from Next Generation, it's City on the Edge of Forever, 
from the original Trek and then in this, that episode that is mm. just guys talking around a barbecue. Yeah, yeah. It blew my, me away how emotional I, I got watching that. I didn't realise I'd missed them so much until I saw them again, sharing the screen together. Mm. I like, you know, this is the kind of thing I was like, I didn't never thought this would happen. And they had the same kind of feeling with Force Awakens. Like, you know, I never thought I'd ever see Harrison Ford do Han Solo again. And it's happening in front of me. And I just, you know, you didn't think it could be possible. So I had the same kind of like, uh, what you called it, mainlining joy, <laughs> Liam. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> it was just it, lovely, wasn't it? It was just lovely. Like that whole episode. And like you said, it felt very much like the interlude they kind of go there because picard knows they'll be safe there for a little bit he's kind of you know it's it's that i mean this is done in a lot of stories where you know the characters get their asses kicked essentially and then they go and hide out somewhere for a little while they do it in teenage mutant ninja turtles movie and you know this had a similar feel to that and essentially all all that happened in the episode is they just hung out and talked Mm. this episode was written by michael shabon himself and you know i kind of i think this is where your strengths as a writer are Mm. because just writing these really beautiful lovely dialogue scenes between these uh, characters which were very tender Mm. (laughs) you're in trouble how bad bad enough I'm fine, really, and I am very, very glad to see your face. Welcome. This is Commander Deanna Troy, Dr. Soji Asher. Just Soji. Long story. What? Come out here! Stop yelling! It's Jean-Luc Picard! Pause music. Say again! Hello, Will. Oh, oh man! place to hide out this show definitely had an interesting take on male friendships and relationships like Picard with with Riker and also Picard with Data felt really kind of emotional tender and kind of warm takes on male friendship you know there there was nothing there was kind of nothing like matcha about those Mm. kind of relationships at all and I thought it was really nice yeah when you just got Riker and Picard hanging out next to the lake, uh, you know, their arms around each other, pretty much. You know, it's really sweet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can tell because you know the parts of the episode mm. where they tried to focus on the story that's happening were the clunkiest, where it was kind of these expositional yeah. like catch-ups. It, mm. it was like you know the calm before the storm. But the moments where it is just them work so well. And and yeah, you know, Riker and Troy, those guys, they didn't miss a beat. They they slipped right back in. It was so great to see them. Yeah, I think this comes back to the whole thing of 
this 10 episode kind of series approach when you have budgets this big for TV it does fall into the thing of mimicking a movie like especially in its structure you know we say those first three episodes are, are kind of like an extended pilot that's almost like the first act of this movie and then this episode seven is kind of like the breather right before shit kicks mm. off for the final act so I think they I think they must you know when they're breaking the stories for these kind of 10 episode seasons think about it that way and go you know what this is the one we can front load nostalgia in it without it being too hammy like it makes sense because it is kind of like the slowdown one it isn't you know Riker's not bursting in to save him in the middle of an action scene it's like oh Riker what are you doing here this is mad it's just like you know although he does do that later Admiral you did it General their flagship is hailing us Acting Captain Will Riker in command of the USS Zheng He. And? And it is my duty to inform you that the United Federation of Planets has designated Planet Julian 4 in the Vite Sector as under the protection of Starfleet, according to the terms of the Treaty of Algeron. Too late. Our claim to this world takes precedence. Move aside. Right, not. He does, he does. Yeah. But by then, it's, by then it's at least earned, because you've set it up and stuff. Yeah. So. It's, it's emotionally earned, I guess, but I'd love to see him phoning up Starfleet and going, I'm ready to come back. I'd like to be put in charge of a starship. What? All right, we're going we're gonna to check your cholesterol. <laughs> I'm so sorry, this is not happening. Wait, you can cure a guy's brain tumour. Yeah, your cholesterol is way worse. You are not getting your hands on a spaceship, mate. It does undercut like a little bit one of the strongest moments in the show, is that it's a very 21st century lens of, like, you know, shooting, cutting down the entitled white man who goes into the office and demands a recommission and a ship and a crew, and she gets and gets told to shut the fuck up. It was quite shocking because you know you got your Picard, the, the mythos of the man, the diplomat, this the guy who saved the galaxy you know, over and over again. It's like, yeah, he retired, and you shit, you shit talked Starfleet. Of course, they're not going to give it back. And the you know the hubris of him going in there and thinking that you know his reputation will carry him through. And it was really good. It was effective. I mean, I felt it you know, difficult to kind of hear the, the, the language mm. in this because I, I don't really think it should be in Star Trek. Yeah. But it, had, it made its point. I mean, that was the point. It meant to shake you mm. and it shakes Picard. And it's like, you've just had your hero taken down a peg or two. But then you have Riker swan in with his high cholesterol at the end <laughs> as the head of an armada. And it's like, well, how can he get it? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. You, you, you both made a really good point there in the sense of, for me, that's the first thing I thought of. Was I was like, wait a minute. When Picard went in, they were like, fuck off, Picard, you old loser. No one cares about you. We're not <laughs> going to give you your own shit. They, that's the exactly words they yeah, use. Yeah, but, well, yeah. When Riker goes in, it, it, it would appear they just went, yeah, all right, Riker, let's go. Like, uh, like yeah, I was like, what's the difference? Is it just that Picard slags Starfleet off so much on TV or what? <laughs> Well, it's Picard's been yes, making yes. wine, Riker's been making pizza, pizza wins, apparently, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess so. The age-old so. question. Because in a way, this is what Star Trek has always been. The search to find out what's better, wine or pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Uh, well, what did everyone but... think about, you know, one of the things that's been kicked up uh, as a fuss of some of the fans is, you know, the way Starfleet's presented here and how it's gone so sort of morally dark and how a lot I of people... I love it. Go, They're awful, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, I, this is I, it. I, I agree. I think it's I think it's a good progression. Like you say, a lot's happened since Nemesis. We haven't it, seen it all. It we've makes done sense. Seven hundred hours of of Starfleet mm-hmm. and the Federation being good. Great. We get the point. Our future is bright. But for fun, let's see what would happen if it wasn't. <laughs> just, just maybe we. And also, like I said, this is this is a very science fiction is never about the future. It's always about the present when it's made. And and it, I love the fact that it's. It's this much darker vision. I love. I also love the fact that by the end, it almost 
we go back, it's almost a reset to the, the Starfleet and the Federation we know. But I love the fact that they've given it a go to do this grim, dark vision of mm. the future for a bit. Well, and a refugee crisis, you know, with the Romulans as well. That was quite well integrated as well, because that takes in what we know is canon from uh, from Nemesis as well, or, or post Star no Star Trek 09, uh, with the destruction of Romulus in the yeah. flashbacks there. You know, so it kind of brings that, you know, in a real world consequences. This has really shaken up the the Alpha Quadrant as we knew it in Next Gen. It's a different. It's redrawn the map completely yeah and it, it does feel very close to home to obviously with the, the you know the, there's no doubt that this is influenced by the kind of you know refugee crisis we've had in in our own times um right now because you know picard it, it seems that almost starfleet are representing the kind of general right-wing government of today and Picard is the kind of Picard's Starfleet Jeremy Corbyn essentially in this and uh, yeah, that's the way it seems to be going down uh, and basically being told to fuck off by everyone as so effective as him right. in, when, in the meeting yeah, yeah. <laughs> does that mean, uh, so that makes Riker Keir Starmer okay that's fine no I understand <laughs> um, I agree just going back to the retained characters that 7 and 9 was fucking awesome in this I mean Jerry Ryan she basically hasn't skipped a beat, has she? She looks pretty much exactly the same as she did uh, back in the day, or, or literally, you know, very, very close. She, you know, can obviously still kick ass with the best of them. She had some good, decent kind of fight and action scenes in it. And yeah, I, I really like that they brought her back. And by the end, it seems like she's going to be a part of that crew. And I suppose, you know, this crew that Picard sets up um, is very much, it is outside of Starfleet. They're not affiliated. And I guess the whole point of that is that Picard what, the, no longer feels... The Ferris Bueller Rangers. Yeah, he no longer feels he can be a part of Starfleet. I guess that's the idea, that they're going to go off on their own adventures because kind of Starfleet have gone wonky off the kind of morality that Picard approves of. She's also performing in a in a in a more in a way that is different to the way she was on the show. She's a lot less uh, clipped mm. than she was on the show. The delivery, but that's that exposes her growth in those twenty years. Remember, she was deprogramming herself and being in well, you know, this is kind of like a cult, wasn't it? the Borg in a sense? You got and having to kind of move on from that. Uh, and she had PTSD clearly from that, and um, and no no family other than the Voyager crew. I, I was one thing is I was hoping to see like a Janeway cameo. I'm sure there's still time in the next couple of years. Oh to, yeah, in the next couple of seasons. Sure, they'll, they'll dig up Kate Mulgrew for it, but it'll be great. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh well, yeah. Picard is clearly now going to become the home for all of the other kind of old Star Trek characters, isn't it? Essentially, you know, this is where they're going to bring the, the, back. the nursing home. Yeah, all yeah well, essentially, <laughs> the, the, this is all going to be their retirement plans, isn't it? They, they're all going to be begging to come back on the show. And I think, you know, already, uh, obviously, uh, we had Patrick Stewart actually offer Whoopi Goldberg a, a return yeah. on, um, yeah, is it The View? It's The View, the isn't view it? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, she does. And he said live on camera, like, will you come and be in season two? I think there's been kind of rumours about Robert Did Picardo. she say yes? Yeah, she did. Or did you tell him to fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> as long as she can keep her Imagine hand, saying that. Would you come on my TV show? <laughs> no, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would, to be fair, that would have been a bigger YouTube moment than the one they actually had. Been. If she turned around and said, fuck off, I'm not going back. <laughs> Yeah, Picard just like, Dory, I got Garrett Wang. He said he'd do it, so puss off. <laughs> I mean, they've talked about Robert Picardo coming back for season two, I think. And, and Will um, Wheaton as well, I think. They're going to be Picardo season two. Can I just say, 
Same day I met Chekhov, I met uh, I met the holographic doctor, and he couldn't have been nicer. Good old Picard, eh? I, we did a whole I, special I, I, on In fact, that was one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. I had him sign the action figure of, of the doctor. And he says, oh, what do you want me to do? Sign your dolly there? As, and I said, I blushed and said, it's an action figure. <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> we did an episode um, on Inner Space, which Picardo was obviously the in. The finest movie of the 80s, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great movie. And uh, yes, I mean, listen, I mean, who would we like to see come back into Picard from the history of Star Trek? Who's Jamie still alive? The Doctor. That's my hands down, hands down, Jamie and the Doctor for me. Okay, okay. What about you, Dan? Do you know, now I've said it, I, mean, I am worried about Garrett Wang's career. I, I wouldn't mind him getting a few days' work. <laughs> he, he's got a podcast he's a now, Dan. now. He's fine. He, what? He's podcasting? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So him and oh, he really needs to. Oh, him, and, <laughs> him and the bloke who played Paris. It's Robert McNeil, isn't it? Robert McNeil. Yeah, but Robert played... McNeil's doing alright because he's a TV director. I have no idea what Garrett Wang's doing. Well, they got together and they're hosting a podcast. You know, this is happening a lot now, where cast members of the actual show will start a rewatch podcast. They've started one of those for Voyager. Okay, is it good? I have not listened. (laughs) (laughs) This is not, I mean, that, 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 that's not me trying to down them or anything. Like, I just haven't, I haven't got around to it. Or I'm not even, not even sure if it's kind of out yet. I know it's been announced that they're doing it. I know it is, it is, because I think I saw someone the other day saying about Star Trek podcasts you should listen to and loads of people were kind of sucking up to them, obviously, and going like, oh yeah, like their podcast is amazing. But, you know, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's fantastic. Like, you know, I've enjoyed quite a well, lot of Well, that's the quote for their poster. I'm sure it's <laughs> great. <laughs> it's fantastic. But, I mean, I've enjoyed quite a lot of these kind of, you know, cast members uh, reviewing their own kind of shows. Being Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Yeah, uh, was so Zach good. Graf and Donald Faison uh, from Scrubs. I mean, I'd say that, that podcast is better than the actual show. <laughs> <laughs> and also I've been enjoying Talking Sopranos with Michael Imperioli and Stephen Sherpa. That's a lot of fun as well. And so, terrifyingly, also James Gandolfini. It's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, they do a seance every episode. <laughs> I've called them up. Hey, it's good uh, to be back. Okay. <laughs> it's like we were. It's fucking cold, you know? <laughs> Is this... Do you do a Gandolfini impression? Uh, I, I've tried. It's, it's kind of... Um, somebody... Ex- Somebody who does a really good Gandolfini just said, it always sounds like he's about to cry. That's how you do Gandolfini. Like, God, this, this fucking pizza. You know, it's just, you've got to almost be crying and then you can kind of get it. It's... That's a really fucking good impression of James Gandolfini. I should say that The Sopranos <laughs> is like my favourite narrative of anything. Oh, we know, Liam. We know. You look like you're about to cry there. <laughs> yeah. like, and Gandolfini, well, I actually, consider... I'll t- his performance it's is the best acting performance of all time. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. I will say this, because early when we were talking about how we've changed now to being much more like ongoing stories and series, and people sort of refer to The Sopranos as being the first sort of the turning point into that. And I always felt that it was Deep Space Nine started that whole more serialized storytelling. And I've read, I've, and I've read an article and one other person agrees with me. Um, but it kind of, to me, Deep Space Nine is the original Sopranos. Let me just say that. Yeah, it's the better than Sopranos, wouldn't you say, Liam? Original Sopranos. <laughs> uh, what's that? What it's better than Sopranos, about? wouldn't you say? <laughs> That's I what mean, we prefer. Like you know, I, I've heard that, I've heard that from a couple of Star Trek fans, and it's that thing of I, I get it. Like you know, I, I get, I get what you're, I get oh, what you're saying. Oh, get the fuck out of my face, the Gabagool! Motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> yes. what are you doing, you bastard? Goddamn! Yeah. <laughs> 
What I'll say is, I cried at the end of Deep Space Nine, and at the end of The Sopranos, I went, I think the TV's broken. All right, so that's two very different reactions, isn't it? <laughs> oh, look, let, let's not get on to the end of The Sopranos now. Like, oh, we have, Let me, we actually, have... I did before, I made a joke there, I want to be very clear, I love the finale of The Sopranos. Okay. I was just being silly. Yes. What does everybody think about the synths like whole plotline then? Was that something that you found engaging or entertaining? Well, it's interesting, or, isn't it? Because I had no it? idea that was the direction of this show that it was going to be this conspiracy about synths, and it feels weird in this kind of futuristic sci-fi world that you know they have they still haven't cracked lifelike AI, and that becomes such a big part of it. You know, was Data like their pinnacle of it? Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing. It's like it always found it strange that somebody you know did could make a Data, mm. and then nobody else could in the whole galaxy make anywhere even near him, and that was. What, you know, was a bit of a kind of strange thing that you had to suspend disbelief in next year. But now it's with this show, it's kind of opened it up as a can of worms had to address that. But you are encroaching on Blade Runner and Alien territory, which has been well done. You know, you know, masterpieces on synthetic life forms and the and the implications that thereof. And if you're not going to be able to go toe to toe with that, it's it's quite a difficult thing to kind of even attempt. I think it's just yeah, they, they do 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 some good start you know Star Trek moral wrangling with it, but it, it doesn't quite work overall for me. I think. I feel it would be better if, if we actually thought the Simps were actually evil yeah. for a bit. Like it kind of got a bit too I big think, with I think the idea of was a... the Tal Shivar, you know, seeing this kind of vision of a robotic apocalypse and that's what driving what's driving a lot of the force. That felt kind of... There's, there's a few elements here that almost touched on, like, fantasy tropes and things. Like the um, El, Elnor, the... Is it, was he Vulcan? He was Vulcan, right? No, no he's just Romulan. Yeah, him being all kind of, you know, bind your sword Same to my thing, quest. Same thing, isn't it, Matt, you racist? <laughs> Well, I couldn't. He was killing a lot of Romulans. I thought maybe he's the Vulcan guy. <laughs> oh, he's oh another bloody new character, isn't he? Yeah, I liked him. I liked Elnor. I think of the um, with the Simpsons, like it reminded me a bit of the Worker Joes from the video game Alien Isolation. Oh you yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Matt, with the kind of just blank uh, android appearance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were basically just the skin of an android without really any of the features on them, except for like glowing yeah, eyes. They're terrifying that game. And, they, and if you kind of like you know got on the wrong side, they would strangle you to death. And they were very, very scary. I think the less like human features they had, the more intense they were. And I thought that was a bit. I was vibes I was getting a bit from the Mars. Yeah, flashback. yeah. Well, that Mars stuff. That you basically like, you just know... have your, you know, things just turn on yeah. you. Yeah. And I think there wasn't much horror there. I think there could have been more. Like, yeah, that, yeah, that initial uprising of Mars. It was quite a disturbing really. sequence. I thought it was. It was me, but I wanted more of it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have a, I have a problem with. There's a lot of this. If you have a utility androids, you try to make them look human, and it's. And this has been a trope in science fiction for forever. And it feels quite a dated trope now. Like, those guys, you could literally give them... They're basically rumbas, right? And for some reason, they've given them faces. So I wasn't... That felt weird to me now. What's a yeah. rumba? Yeah. It's a robotic vacuum cleaner. Oh, okay. Have you got one of these? <laughs> you, know, the, you know, the little round thing I want thing one, but she won't let me get floor. one. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, I know. I know she, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do need a so new vacuum you, cleaner, you... so maybe I'll, I'll go for one you, of those yes, unless it kills you can, me in my sleep. You, you've got a choice. You can either have a black disc that vacuums your house, right? Or you can have a man with legs and a face who's wandering around doing the exact same job. <laughs> Who can shoot you. Creeping you the fuck out. <laughs> now, you can't tell me in 400 years anyone's had a vote and gone, we're going to go with the face thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but like, depends what you want to put your dick in, really. <laughs> Listen, you can get... You'll be, Everybody else is out. Those new rumbers have got a lot of features. <laughs> um, uh, the, the thing with uh. the, the synth band, 
<laughs> is I thought it's a thing that's been explored in a lot of sci-fi stories yeah. in the last kind of, you know, 30, 40 years. I mean, it, it, it kind of reminded me of stuff like, you know, mutants, superheroes, things that have been, that, that we, we've seen done before. And I mean, even and androids and robots and stuff, that, that's certainly been done as a thing in film where they've, they've been banned. It, it's done a lot and it did seem slightly old hat. And also, I mean, I suppose that was the whole point in terms of it seemed a massive step back for kind of Starfleet as a kind of, or the Federation as an institution to yeah. kind of be banning that. It seems that. a bit of a, oh yeah, a bit of a, a, a you know, knee-jerk reaction. Let's yes, that, that didn't yeah, yeah. feel believable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I think you know also leads to like you know you get to see the synth homeworld and that was gonna, that was so exciting for me. Get to see the synth homeworld is gonna be so amazing and it's yet it's the set from Star Trek Insurrection. You know, it just feels like you know a village they built in the middle of Californian hay bales like, wilderness. It, it did remind so me of Star like, Trek I was really Insurrection. Expecting something. A thing I really didn't quite get is the whole flesh and blood android thing. In terms of they keep talking about oh that's what they were trying to achieve flesh and blood androids. And I'm just kind of like. What's a flesh and blood android? Surely that's like a cyborg. Surely that's like a thing between between the two. Like I didn't really quite get what they were trying to do there, or what that or what that was even. You know, to the next step in android hmm. evolution. I was just like, what? So basically, a, a human being. Like I don't. The, the yeah, whole... I, I don't understand. This is this is again. This is kind of the thing in science fiction. But we want to make the most realistic robot we can. It's like, well, first of all, that sounds very expensive. And who's that for? You're not going to get any venture capitalists. Who are going to invest in, you know, th- these human-looking things? It's. It, I think thirty years ago it felt like much more of a like when Blade Runner and and a few other things. It kind of felt like a genuine concern that this is the way things were going. It doesn't anymore. Um, this it felt like really borrowing from a, a time gone by in science fiction. Well, unless you're having sex with it, that's the only reason. Yeah, but you're becoming very exactly. fixated I mean, on this ball. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful about this because I think I just heard my kid going past. But it's not Planet of the Fuckbots. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, that I'm sure they're well, saving for season two. But Liam and Matt, you remember we did the episode on the Star Trek comics? Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Did any? Did either of you get like reminders of like that? Um, Planet that with the uh, eat you know massive oh with the giant um, space plants. flowers oh yeah the, with the orchid yeah. things yeah 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 I thought that was pretty cool because that was that was a bit of a TOS you know giant green hand moment I thought mm-hmm. that, I was I liked how nuts that was and I was I yeah that was pretty wild the, especially in the, the finale when orchids. they're all out there having that giant battle and there's just all these orchids floating about it was really uh, mm. some interesting visuals there and and, mm, and the yeah. effects were more than held up like it's like oh this is where a lot of the money this is why there's the oh, episode yeah. on the I bloody was, farm I, and at Riker's house because they needed it all for this the blood did get pumping with the space battle a little bit but i think it just again they fall into this trap of like they think what, what they're going to see is more spaceships and i just think it just you just need real stakes mm. like try and mm-hmm. ground it in some sort of reality it's not like the end of Rise of skywalker again when you can just the whole galaxy turns up through a bloody pipe i just think we you know it would have been better with less ships but like actually you know some real cost to each side because it looked great it was exciting when picard was in there flying about his ship for the first time you know i haven't driven in years i haven't, I haven't done my part so 
driving test. Just checking his eyesight. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah. All these shows these days, like the production value is usually not the issue now, is it? In sense of like all these shows tend to look beautiful and like incredibly well made, everything like that. The usually the <clears throat> the problem, uh, like you were saying, Dan, in terms of you know in the binge in the binge era, it, we can allow things to kind of just wash over us when we're watching them at the time because we've just got all the episodes ready to go and uh, no time to really process them with any kind of thought you can go yeah i enjoyed that but then if you actually have to sit down on a fucking podcast and talk about it then <laughs> you start to go wait a minute oh like going like yeah if you actually start to pick it apart analyze it at all uh, then you realize there's actually a lot of issues in terms of the actual writing all, let me characters. ask a question are you being forced to do this against your will <laughs> yes. is this community service yeah 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 i've got a fuck Guys, let- standing behind me with a very large weapon <laughs> weapon <laughs> <laughs> It did make me pine for like some episodic TV. I think the interesting like the uh, the stats for Voyager, uh, well stats for Netflix, sorry, have been released, and the most watched show is Voyager. I think it's fitting into that timeline of like people who really want to get into a show. Yes, yeah, well, it should be if it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's just like everything. Star Trek Voyager, the most watched show in the entire yeah. world. You can keep your Zumbo's great design. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's Voyager, Voyager, Zumbo, Jeffrey Epstein. That's everything anyone's watching. That's it, yeah. Forget Tiger yeah. King. Let's dodge at Voyager time. Uh, is that right? Voyager like, um, is the yeah, I just think that, that. But I don't think people are going to go, oh, I can't wait to I've dip back into episode six of Picard. Is, it, you know, is that because I think there's only... people... I'm just curious if that's because people... People are going to watch Star Trek. We all watched TNG in the 90s. We all largely watched Deep Space Nine. And Voyage is the one I tapped out on fairly quickly. So I'm curious if that's the one that people are going, ah, fuck it, it's free. I'm, I'll watch it now. Mm. Maybe. They're not no, watching it because it's the best one, is. surely. I don't think it is. I think it's the best one, but I think it's a lot of people who came of age when that was on. Or yeah. are kind of watching Netflix right now. And I think we maybe underestimate like the appeal of the female captain to a young female audience that actually yeah. mm. it's still absolute fantasy games to have a female being listened to yeah. in authority it's pretty, that, that's the only having... one my kid will watch my, the, my, I've got two yeah. girls and they they love Janeway and they love uh, Seven and I yeah and they yeah I mean they are watching the others they couldn't care less yeah I think it helps I, I think that it's the one of the easiest like hook as well. You can just say, "Oh, it's a ship stranded miles away from home, getting back," and so then you can just dip in and out. And I think it's very much a comfort watch for a lot as well. Or maybe, like you say, the the ones that a lot of people tapped out on, then go back to, and it's maybe like the most recent old one that they maybe haven't seen. Mm. And they're like, "Okay, because no one's doing Enterprise." So <laughs> I did well, Enterprise for the first time in the last two or three years. And what did you think? You sound haunted. It is awful, <laughs> apart from the that's is it season three is the one that's almost the serialized one with the it super is season gun. three, yeah. That was fine. <laughs> that was <laughs> fine. <laughs> it, I I largely hated that show and I but not as much as I hate Discovery. I'm just gonna Oh you hate Discovery? I fucking hate Discovery. What what is your what is your reasons? Please don't say it is, you've got a black lead that <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm safe because we already talked Deep Space Nine. Um, it is it is the most simple reason in the world. I am so bored. I don't like the characters, not because of you know. I just I I don't actually it's the relationships. I don't care about the relationships. There, there are moments where 
there's uh, both seasons there's been a moment I go that's it finally I'm in and then they will do something to screw it up like t- probably three quarters of the way through uh, Discovery the first series I'm like you know what I really like Jason Isaacs if this guy's the captain the whole time I'm going to have a great ah oh, look what they did right? and, yeah. and then the second series I, I love the relationship between the, uh, the engineer and the doctor and even that got weird then Sorry I segued into the different show, but uh, yeah, there we are. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's really interesting to get kind of your, your take on it. Like, I, I really like Discovery, and I do feel like, not that I'm in the minority at all, because it's obviously an extremely successful show, but certainly I think, you know, it obviously it definitely kind of has people, who, you know, who don't, don't like it. I mean, Paul, I mean, I don't get the feeling you dislike it, Paul, but you, you sometimes maybe find it I hard just, to get. I, under, I just don't love it, and I think it's just like mm. I'm just completely ambivalent a little bit towards it. I think I'm watching it, you know, I'm in, I'm enjoying it in the moment, but it has no lasting kind of like thing for me. It's very disposable. It's like you know, there's nothing there like Next Generation where I can go back years later and yeah. love the characters and that kind of thing. It just feels so in the moment, all flash. And, you know, I'm not feeling connected yeah. to it. And I think you feel and the I, connection. I did... It's not you connecting to the characters. It's you connecting to the characters' relationships and their connection with other characters. And there's none yeah. of that for me in Discovery. No, because it's like, you know, any, everybody's expendable. There's like, you, you barely know who the crew are until, well, I still don't. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just think that kind of thing, because like, they, they're favouring the big reveals and the, and the big shock twists over allowing you to kind of like get to know a few people and kind of you know, feel like they, they, they're going to be around a while and like, discover the universe through them. Because I felt like this way from the start, and a lot of my friends who kind of like Star Trek were like, oh, it's a, it's a really good show. And I hated it. And then I got... I, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, is was a guy who wrote on uh, The Next Generation in the 90s. And I was, I, we had a chat one day, and I said, I fucking I hate this show. And he was like, yeah, me too. And I've okay. never felt so justified if it was like, oh my god, I'm not alone in the universe. Was that because they didn't hire him, though? That's a that's an interesting question. I did put that to him as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I I don't think he applied for the job. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah. I really actually really enjoy Discovery a lot, and I I think you're right in terms of definitely it is a show that appeals to non fans, people who like. Well, my, my partner, she the only Star Trek she's ever been interested in are the JJ movies and Discovery, basically. Like, you know, she tried That's to watch the first episode. She tried to watch the first episode of Picard, couldn't couldn't get on with that. Yeah, I think there is something about it that appeals to kind of, you know, people. And maybe you know, maybe that's the whole thing, maybe that's why it's found success amongst a new new fan base. I, th- I think you're right. I th- I The weird thing, because I'm watching three shows at mm. I'm watching Columbo, and I'm watching Magnum P.I., and I'm watching the original Twilight Zone. And I think I'm basically an average... Awesome. Yeah. I think I'm basically an average TV viewer, so I don't know why we've completely gone from this episodic viewing this... Because it's almost more... It wouldn't work on, on like something like Picard, because I, I, I think... Mm. Well, maybe, maybe it would, but obviously yeah. we've got... We're not saying the story being Picard told, is yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah especially because... Well, actually, you know what? It, with Picard, just considering his age, it might not hurt if it was episode to episode. Just in case, why is he not in episode six? He had a, he had a cardiac thing. All right, um, but I, it's it's weird. Why? Why? I mean, I know why because TV habits have completely changed, and you can. It helps Netflix's algorithm. They have like, do you want to watch more? Because it ended on a cliffhanger. Mm. But I think there's still an appetite. 
Well, I mean, for all of us, anyway, they still have to do a week-to-week thing because that's how we used to consume yeah. TV, and TV did fine for 80 years before Netflix cropped up. I think that's the way it's been split now. It's either people going back and watching the old shows on Netflix where they're picking what they want and just diving in for comfort, or the new stuff that you are encouraged to do in the weekend it comes out. This is why I hope we can maybe at least, at the very least, return to a weekly airing of something, the way The Mandalorian did originally. In this, in the states, and I think here actually, when it came out, I think they still dripped out like once a week. So they they did, and I, I think to be fair, I think both Discovery and Picard do air weekly. They don't drop. Yeah, them they all did. Yeah, at the same time. Yeah, they do air weekly. It's just that which, if anything, almost makes kind of you know that binge format for Picard, where you really do feel you're essentially just getting a kind of hour of story sliced out and then parceled out into kind of 10, rather than kind of 10 individual episodes. Even stranger if you're doing it week to week, I think. Especially when the play next episode feature takes about three seconds to activate on Amazon Prime. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyone, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've had, I've had an interesting experience recently. I, I, I've been, I'm obsessed with, with Quibi. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this thing, but it's the... I know about Quibi. Do you watch any of it? Uh, I haven't watched any of it, no. Have you actually managed to watch some of you? Yeah, I've I've watched a bunch. First of all, I'm I'm obsessed with it, in fact, right? But I watched the the greatest uh, the great game or whatever it's called the the greatest hunt the one that is the, the basically a remake of Hard Target that is chopped in a nine minute sequences, and it's moronic. It is no reason to cut it into bits. They've just done it because of the requirements of the of the format. And it's but they do that week to week as well, mm. and it's it's just annoying. <laughs> I I want to if especially because it's only two hours long. But generally, I want to. I feel like I want to have the option to go. I want to watch all of this. If I want to watch this between nine p.m. and nine a.m. tomorrow, just sitting all night and watching it, I want to have the option to do that, which maybe is selfish <laughs> as a viewer, but um, and it so it feels slightly artificial, especially with the Mandalorian came out in this country having already completed its run in on Disney Plus in America. It was like, I'm just annoyed. Um, <laughs> Although Mandalorian very much is kind of it that that is kind of separate little stories, kind of thing, little little chapters. Yeah, um, no, it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I the thing is I'm speaking I'm a freelancer. I I'm I'm at home most of the time, so I haven't got like a normal job. But I think I do like I like the idea of the fact they're doing weekly TV again. So you've got something to talk about in the office the next day, the way it used to be in the mm. 80s, as opposed to just hating everyone. Um, <laughs> Do you just go up to offices now and... Uh, I just, just need someone to talk to. Blend with the staff and have a chat <laughs> yeah, with Yeah, just them. hang out at the, at the tap going, oh, yeah, I don't work here, but have you been watching The Mandalorian? It's not bad. <laughs> I mean, when you said you were a freelancer, I thought you were about to go, I am a Mandalorian. <laughs> Bounty hunting is a difficult profession. <laughs> <laughs> No, that was a damn good impression. That was a damn good impression. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I've been cranking out that line quite a lot, and I think it's a complicated profession, actually, so I should say. <laughs> Is it just that phrase, or can you say any phrase with that voice? It's pretty much that. It, I love I love, Werner, I love old Werner for that. Try and say, please welcome Garrett Wang with that voice. Please welcome Garrett Wang. Oh, it turned into Arnie. Oh, no. Please <laughs> welcome Garrett Wang. It's the Tonight Show with Aaron Wang. <laughs> I suppose that that's, that's the test of an actual whether you're an actual impressionist or not, isn't it? If you can say something that that person hasn't actually said in real life in their voice. Yeah, but on the, there's a lot to be said about just nailing that one thing that they definitely say. Like anyone can do a Christopher Walken if all they've got to say is, 
Wow. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> wow. So there you go, Matt. You've got a new career just where you could you just reel out that one Herzog impression. It's a line that works for shows. so much. If, just if anyone's walk having... out, do the line, walk off. <laughs> You'll be like someone yeah, who's just I think done you need one hit ex- single. I need to know more about I love the guys who've got a really expand. niche. And it, by the way, it's always guys. Girls are never doing this. I love like a really niche impression. Like... You've got to invite him to the party. He's got the best Werner Herzog <laughs> impression. Like, I, I, spent, I spent about three weeks, years ago, practicing my Alan Alder impression before going, Who, who's this for? <laughs> well, I'm never going to be like, doing a 20 spot in Stoke. And I'm going to be going, ladies and gentlemen, before I go, I'd like to do the Alan Alder impression. And they're going to be like, yes, this is why we came. At last. <laughs> oh, there's not many people who'd be able to market for accuracy, to be fair. Who can remember what Alan Alder sounds like? <laughs> so, guys, shall we kind of start to wrap up with final thoughts? Yeah. Paul, do you want to go start first? Me. So I think, just, I know we've had a lot of discussion about like TV formats. I'm going to say for Picard, like this 10, 10 episode order was does work. And I think, it, you know, I think it's a little bit undercut by the fact that the second season was ordered and we, you know, we kind of knew that that was going to be more of it. But it hit the crime right beats. And, uh, you know, whilst the ending kind of, it stuck the ending a little bit, I didn't think it quite, it could have been as spectacular as it was promising. It was, there was so many strong elements in, throughout the show. Like it did feel like a lot of ideas, like, and uh, perhaps that's its downfall is it kind of like bit off more than it could chew. But, you know, it certainly passed lots to you know enjoy in the moment but i don't know if i'll be revisiting it to kind of like give it a second look i don't think it's got revisitation value gotta say the theme really nice yeah Uh, it's one of those few shows where i've actually watched the main titles through and did not want to skip intro We should take this opportunity actually to make a bit of an apology to Jeff Russo, who's the guy who does the the theme, and he also does the theme for Discovery as well. Because when we did our first ever Discovery kind of reaction episode off the back of watching the pilot, we shat all over his theme for Discovery. But as Discovery has gone on, he's he's kind of themes for it because obviously he composes the whole series. I actually think he's done a lot of really good kind of Mm. work there. And yeah, again, both with the Discovery theme and the Picard theme, when I first heard them, I've gone, oh, rubbish, and then found myself humming them the next day, so. But like, uh, and I'm not, I don't, Picard, I just think in the moment, again, it just is quite a nice uh, tune. And like, I like his references to like Picard's flute there. I feel like that's a nice little touch, yeah. bring it full circle. Obviously, I think, you know, Seven Nine's amazing, and I just want to see more of her in season two. I'm glad she's joined the crew. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much like, well, I think I've covered most of my points, to be honest. Mm. Dan, what are you thinking? Uh, I, what have we not covered? I think uh, we didn't really talk about Peyton List as the uh, the Romulan uh, Nazi, na- Nazi? Na- nasty piece of work. <laughs> uh, I thought she was pretty good. I, um, I, I, I enjoyed, overall, I enjoyed this series. I have not enjoyed TV in a while. Um, maybe it's the lockdown, but I, every show I've watched the last few weeks, I've gone, I'm, I'm into this. Um, I don't think... It, I, I actually like the turns it took away from the next generation. I, I like the fact that it was a new generation of writers 
who were trying to do something different with the with the property. And I, I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of, even with Patrick Stewart in it, I was kind of dreading having to watch this because Discovery has been so unpleasant for me. But I, I watched it really quickly. I watched it in two or three days and I enjoyed every minute of it. There were disappointments like there are with most things in TV. Uh, the, the ending particularly was a disappointment to me, but he is a fantastic actor and he... You know, you spend ten hours with him, and it's 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 a joy. And you know, when the, when especially when Riker and people come back, there's a lot of logic problems with it that we've touched upon anyway. But overall, I'm very happy with with how this has turned out. And with that said, I wish there was not a season two because I think it would have been a better finale. Yeah, yeah quite quite possibly. Quite well. maybe it should have stuck with limited series. Interesting. We didn't dig, really dig into the fact that Dan, the three shows you mentioned are all from kind of about forty years ago. Uh, really, Columbo, Magnum PI, and the original Twilight Zone, not not the yeah. new Jordan Peele version. And uh, I should just throw in a little bit of sizzle for a future episode of this show. We are going to be covering an episode of Columbo, William Shatner's first appearance on the show with Chris Hewitt from Empire Magazine. He's going to come on and talk about because he is a Columbo obsessive. But w- what is it that draws you to Columbo and Magnum P.I.? It is more Columbo. Magnum, I f- I'm surprised how annoying I'm finding Magnum, but <laughs> Columbo is, they're these perf- they are these perfect little confections. They're these closed loop things. He's a, he, he gives, I mean, you can't describe it. He gives an absolutely perfect performance every single week until the early 90s episodes when it goes a bit shit. But the, certainly the first, those 70s episodes are just brilliant. And also, it's, it's, every episode is just about a different subset of like uh, Los Angeles wealth and culture. And it's, it's just like stepping back in time. So that's why I love Columbo. And do- Matt, final thoughts on Picard, please. I did enjoy it quite a lot, and especially as it went along. I mean, for everything I've been saying about episodic TV, I, I agree with Paul, this one is suited to 10, because, you know, I feel it is aping that movie structure. There are moments that work better than others. Uh, I definitely I definitely enjoyed uh, Santiago Cabrera as Captain Rios as well. I think he's really well, yeah, good. We didn't talk yeah, about yeah, him. he fantastic. had a lot of good yeah. opportunities to shine, playing all the different hologram versions of himself, which was fun to watch. Alright, somewhere... Underneath this absurd spectacle I see before me are five broken pieces of Captain Rios. It's like you each got dealt a whole card. How about you turn them over? Hmm? Sit up. Oh, I Maggie easy Let's start with the girl. Um, Ian, you called her Jana. You said you recognized her. I did. I do. I do too. Yes, Jana, poor thing. It was just so tragic. I... No. Sorry. It's like my knowledge of Medusa astrogation techniques totally gone. It's something to do with his time on the Ibn Majid. With his captain. Aye, Captain Alonso Vandemir. Oh, what about him? Were they close? Is he alive? It's, um... Ah, the information's there somewhere. I can feel it. But I can't quite get at it. But I, I like, I, you know, I liked the central conspiracy and mystery with the synthetics, the way the Borg cube kind of played into things. Like, it felt like it was spinning a lot of plates and they mostly all 
connected and paid off together in some way. There weren't there weren't many dead ends um, here and there. So I'm looking forward to season two. But it's one of those ones where it's like you know I'll I'll watch it when it's there. But I'm not really gonna be, be clawing for it. I don't think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I think once all these new shows are up and running, be interesting to see which ones I genuinely become. Uh, excited for um, more than usual so we'll see when there's a real battle royale of like five different shows we'll see which one starts to take center stage okay well yeah I mean you, you mentioned Santiago uh, Cabrera there who are, I'll, I'll join the praise for like as uh, Rios I thought he gave a really good performance I mean I didn't I didn't think his character was particularly anything uh, amazing he was kind of like just typical kind of uh, shit badass in a lot of ways but mm with all these kind of weird uh, different versions of him through the car hologrammatic Doctor version where he kind of through vanity instilled his own kind of uh, per se onto all of them. And that allowed him to play like so many different versions of the character. And I was like, just as an acting performance, I was like, oh, this is like really, really impressive. This is like McAvoy and Split or something. Like, yeah, really. <laughs> um, but and just because of that, he made an impression because a lot of the others like Girati, uh, Daj, Ansage, uh, Rafi, Elnor, Narissa, Commodore O, Narek, like none of them really particularly made any impact on me whatsoever. Um, I, I found them all quite uninteresting. I didn't really buy the relationships that built up between Rios and uh, Alison Pills character at all. When they kissed at the end, I was just mm. like, I, did, I barely registered that they had a relationship. And then it, uh, Raffi and Seven of Nine seemed to have become kind of besties by, by the end and I yeah. was, didn't really quite kind of get a feeling for that at all um, but yeah so the, the people that really interested me more were the returning characters like Seven and Nine like Riker and Troy and seeing all them again I, I certainly think Seven and Nine's absolutely awesome I mean, I mean, I think she's great in Voyager yeah. anyway. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing her again. And I agree with you, Paul. If they bring Janeway in for season two, I think that could be really amazing. I think seeing Picard, Seven and Nine and Janeway all in one showdown scene would be very, very cool. Because I wonder, like, you know, because she's the surrogate mother, like, that Seven, you know, had in that show. And to see what, I don't know if Janeway would approve of her current vocation in terms of the the Ferris, Fenris Rangers and I just would be interested to see what actually she, she makes of that and like what her situation is now so I'd be interested to kind of see what that happens. I, I would love to see uh, Seven of Nine mm. not come back in the next series but they do bring back Kez just to see how angry people get. <laughs> when you first said Kez I just thought of the Ken Loach Kez. <laughs> I was just like, literally, before I registered that that was an actual character on Voyager, I just imagined Picard yeah. being like holding his arm out and suddenly, like, yeah. Kez just landing on it. <laughs> That's how bland she is. Even when we've spent two hours talking about Star Trek, you still think about a Ken Loach film from the 60s before you think about her. Yeah. <laughs> oh man um yeah i mean i i did think this suffered from kind of binge culture narrative storytelling of story arcs that ran way too many episodes the whole relationship between narrett and uh sarge when he's essentially manipulating her went on for like six whole episodes and uh, for me I, I was just it just didn't interest me at all and stuff like that where you just keep checking in each episode and go oh right she's had another nightmare or, or whatever 
whatever, you know, or they're having sex again, but really he's kind of going to Narissa going, oh, yeah, I'm playing her. Just like, yeah, just not not kind of interested in that. I think it leaves it in a slightly interesting place, like Picard going kind of away from Starfleet and stuff and kind of going off a new course. And that's sort of, that is sort of unexplored territory for Star hmm. Trek in terms of following a kind of more rogue ship and stuff. So that, that could have interesting developments. I'll, I'll certainly be interested to see season two when it comes out so i'm uh, i'm not out uh, i will say that i do prefer discovery to this i i find discovery like super enjoyable and i, I really like the characters i think it's definitely got its flaws in terms of we should see a lot more of the surrounding crew i really hope now they're going off into the future of discovery they they do allow kind of you know those smaller characters to come out and play bigger roles i, re I really really do hope so but yeah no i'm interested to see more of this dan thank you so much for joining us mate you've been absolutely yeah, thanks, amazing dan. Oh, thank Where? you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. We've all really enjoyed your appearances on Smirsh Pod. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's. I'm sure yeah. you know most of our listeners know what Smirsh Pod is because it's it's a great great podcast. But it's a sort of James Bond podcast, but like us with Star Trek, they kind of go down different avenues. He's done a season on Michael Caine, yeah. a season you can't bear to talk about it all <laughs> yeah. the time. A season yeah. on well, there's only forty movies. hours of James Bond. There are there are a thousand yeah. hours of Star Trek practically now. <laughs> yes. You've got yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah. to exactly. get through, boys. So I say we we do have to finish DS Nine. I think that's homework for all of yeah, us. Yeah, that's very that um, is very very I, true. I'm going to say this, guys. Before you get to the finale, right? Go out and do a gig, a bad one. <laughs> get drunk on whiskey. <laughs> And then watch it because it's really the only way to watch that episode. <laughs> Being that none of us are stand-up comedians, I think we could yeah, all that's guarantee that's why it's going to be even more. It's, it's going to be so easy to do a bad gig. Out, <laughs> do an open mic, do terribly, then come back and watch the DS9 finale. <laughs> Apart from Matt, who will wheel out his Werner Herzog impression, bring the house down, <laughs> and then be disappointed by the stand-up comedy is a difficult profession. <laughs> 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 oh my god that should be his next documentary is him as an open mic oh in Antarctica for an hour and a half he says, is anyone here you know has anyone noticed the difference between the men and the women there are differences I, mean, I would like to enlighten you about <laughs> Dan where can we find you online and everything you do I'm on uh, Dan Thomas Comedy. Uh, we are also occasionally doing a thing called Unmakeable, which you can find uh, Unmakeable, the Unmakeable Show, I think it is on Twitter, where we are reading scripts of unmade films. Uh, we did Gladiator 2, oh, uh, first one, and we did Jurassic Park 4, which was a piece of shit. And then we did, we did half of uh, Carry On London before everyone was like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. So we are going to come back, we'll do something else, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's where I am. Dan Thomas Comedy and uh, Unmakeable Show. The the Unmakeables. They are they yeah, they get we, we do them live and then uh, they go on YouTube. Uh, unfortunately I use some I see sometimes I'll add music to it and uh, due to some sort of copyright laws they're not available in America. Sorry, America. But you've got your oh. own problems at the minute without this. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I doubt many Americans are going to be wanting to check out Carry On London, but I've been really <laughs> massively intrigued. I didn't realise this until we were already reading it. Uh, Carry on London is 144 pages That's long. Yeah, fucking hell. Is, to put that in context, Stanley Kubrick's script for Napoleon is 155 <laughs> pages long. Right? 
It's longer than Gladiator. It's it's actually it's longer than the script for The Godfather. Carry on London is longer than The Godfather, which means it's better. But we didn't finish reading it. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, I I literally cannot. I cannot even imagine. It's because I know it's going to be absolutely terrible, and I've got morbid that curiosity. Was, unfortunately, wanna... so Gladiator two are up, Jurassic Park four are up. But for some reason, during the recording, YouTube genuinely shut down our live feed on Carry On London. So that's not available. Just because right? of how bad because Carry On London was. Someone at YouTube headquarters was going, we've got to, do, for their own good, we're going to cut the feed on this. Pause the plug. There's one we have got our hands on, I think I can say this, is we got a, a screenplay that was written in the mid-70s for a James Bond film that was written by Sean Connery. Oh, wow. Incredible. Oh, yes. oh, is it James Bond of the Secret Service? It is, it's called It's called Warhead. And oh, it is, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be like threat level midnight, isn't it? It, <laughs> it starts off with him having a massage. There's no action scene. It's like, so basically I see myself sort of lying down and a woman, an attractive woman, I've written down attractive, uh, is rubbing me with oil. <laughs> and that's the first 10 or 12 pages. Um, um, <laughs> Oh my lord! Well, that's that's definitely something to look forward to. I think so. <laughs> we, we will leave it there. Um, until next time, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Spotlight Pod. Uh, you can drop us an email if you so wish at spotlightpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. That'd be nice. Uh, always nice to hear from you, especially right now uh, while we're all isolated and locked down. It's just nice to hear from people. Obviously, it will only be nice to hear from you if you give us five stars because otherwise that would just bring us down in this situation even more. So <laughs> please only contact us if you like us. Um, and until next time, uh, as usual, uh, we, we've no idea kind of, you know, what we're going to be doing next. There's lots of potential episodes up in the air and now we, we've got this one out of the way we'll get on with organising them but until next time uh, it's goodbye from me Liam goodbye from me Matt I'm number two oh. <laughs> and goodbye from me Paul and goodbye from our guest Mr Dan Thomas goodbye I'm number four <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much bye guys engage <laughs>